This is episode 23, Trash Talking with Eco Warriors, featuring Sabine Valenga of Food for All. You're tuning in to Trash Talking with Eco Warriors, where women share inspiring stories about their careers in green business, sustainability, and conservation. Here's your host and founder of Trashy Beauty, Barbara Lee. Hey, remember that crazy statistic we've been talking about, that 40% of food in the world is wasted? Well, imagine that there was an app that could help you locate delicious meals at a fraction of the cost and also help reduce food waste that's being created by the restaurant industry. The cool thing is this app already exists. Food for All, co-founded by three entrepreneurs in Boston, is an app that lets you save money and the planet all while you enjoy delicious food. If it sounds too good to be true, I'm here to tell you that it's not. After their Kickstarter campaign, Food for All was featured in several notable publications like The Huffington Post, Fast Company, Tech Insider, and The New York Magazine. The founders literally took a business from having no money, an idea from a Harvard incubation program, and they turned it into a powerful business that could disrupt the restaurant industry's waste. Food waste is both an environmental and social justice issue, and I think that came through in the stories that Sabine tells about the business that she's built. If you want to meet Sabine and other eco-warriors like her, don't forget to grab tickets to our screening of Wasted, the story of food waste. There's a link in the show notes, and we will be there on April 10th at the Kickstarter headquarters in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. We're really looking forward to welcoming Sabine and other food entrepreneurs like her to this space. Without further ado, let's get trash talking. Sabine, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a it's such a pleasure. And you're you're tuning in with us from Brazil, which is pretty cool. Um, yes, so I am originally from here. Cool. And so tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. Yeah, so my name is Sabine. I am the founder of Food for All, and Food for All is an app that is tackling food waste by selling food from restaurants one hour before they close. So, of course, our mission is to reduce food waste and increase accessibility to quality food. It's a fairly recent app. Uh, We launched in Boston and in New York City in August 2017. And since then, now we're working with approximately 80 restaurants uh, in total. So it's been fun and intense journey so far. Yeah, that's so amazing, though, because this is like a brilliant idea. So companies get to earn a little bit of extra money and then the customers save money and then the food doesn't go into the trash. Exactly. Yeah, I think one of the things that fascinates me the most about the idea of food for all is exactly that is one of the rare situations that I found in which there is really no downside to it. Um, So it's funny because... Um, Now that we're starting to spread the word about the app, some of the feedback we get are people that are talking about the app with their friends and they immediately become kind of suspicious about it just because it it sounds too good to be true in a way. So they're like, okay, like they have, they they try to find the The catch, the hidden kind of, exactly, the (laughs) hidden downside to it. And um, yeah, so that's something that it's part of the part of what we're working on now and the messaging and how to really convince people that 
that's it, you know. That's so funny. I don't know. For me, I guess, I guess the thing that could be seemingly inconvenient is that you do have to go when the restaurants are closing and some places close quite late in the evening at like 8 or 10. So far, I haven't been able to grab anything because everything's sold out by the time I get to it. The whole idea actually is to make it as simple as possible for restaurants to be on board. Sure. Sure. So past apps try to do that already. But I think what what was a big barrier for them to actually scale was the fact that they were working with uh, fixed menus. Before they close or after they close, eateries had to log in the app and log in item by item that they had left. This is something that really wants to start working with restaurant owners and managers. They are so busy and they have so many things going on on their plates that it's just not sustainable for them. So I think yeah. the catch of Food for All is really creating this kind of a default meal of what customers can expect. So the way we work, or uh, you probably saw that in the app, but as a user, you will buy, I don't know, a burrito from Boloco, which is a chain, a burrito chain in Boston. Great burrito chain. I love Boloco. Ah, okay, great. You know it. So, uh, yeah, so they're one of our biggest partners in Boston. Sweet, yeah. So as a user, you know that you're going to get either a burrito or a bowl, for a food for all meal, but you don't know exactly what type of feeling until you go arrive there and you can sure. choose from whatever they sure. have available in their last hour. So I think this is the catch that makes food for all scalable to dealing right. uh, for dealing with surplus food, but at the same time, is what makes us a little bit tricky because it's a new concept for users, right? So sure. people get have to get used to it. Yeah, yeah, and it's actually so funny. So when I when I pitched the idea to a popular cafe here in New York, I was there the other day. They probably don't want me to advertise this, but they told me they were going to throw out all their pastries, and I got really offended. I I got to take some home for free, but I told them about the app because I think it's a great idea. I actually used to work in the restaurant industry, so I have and I have a huge interest in reducing waste and sustainable movement. So for me, I, I explained to them that, you know, the customers understand that when they show up, that it's not going to be exactly a specific item they're receiving. And they were like, oh, okay, I get it. And they were open to the idea? Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm going to go back there um, to grab more pastries, but I'm going to try to get them on board. <laughs> and so if someone is a restaurant owner, or maybe they know someone who owns a restaurant and they think they would be interested in this idea. How do how do people get onboarded? Like, how are people getting in contact with you? Yeah, it's pretty simple. There is a form in our website. I think it's foodforall.com slash partners. And they're just filling the form and we're going to get in touch with you so we can sit down and have a five-minute conversation just so we can understand what's the best meal settings for you. So what is the price and what are the options that you're going to offer every day and the amount. So it's really uh, after they sign up, we sit down with them for five minutes and we build the profile for them. So really, uh, we do all the work and they just start selling. (laughs) Cool. That's awesome. And so when it comes to like the different restaurants that you already have signed on, how did you get those restaurants to join? Like, how did you convince them? So that was definitely one of the biggest challenges that we had and that we were not expecting. Just because, um, of course, before we start building the app, we talked to a couple of owners and they said that they would definitely be on board. 
But once we actually had the app and we start pitching to restaurants, the majority of, well, it's really difficult to find the ones that want to be the early adopters. Right. Especially because, uh, it, so if you worked on the restaurant industry already, you know how, how stressful their workload is. Yes. And how much they get constantly bombed with new ideas and new apps and new people trying to solve their problems. <laughs> they really have no, it's really difficult for you to actually get them interested. So they automatically assume that they know already what it is, or they, especially talking about surplus food, they think you're a nonprofit or, and they're just not open. They assume that they understood it, even though they didn't at first. So that was definitely one of the biggest challenges, but I think we were lucky enough to start in Cambridge. So Cambridge has a very strong kind of community feeling. Yeah. Um, and restaurants are definitely open-minded there. And sure. The majority of businesses, they open because they want to try to reach out to the student population mm -hmm. of all, this, all, all the schools. Yeah. And so they are more open-minded to trying different things. So the first 25 was, were definitely the most difficult ones for us to uh, okay. get on board. Uh, but they were all in camp. Cool. And do you guys have like a list of the restaurants who are participating with you? Of course, yeah. Well, Boston slash Cambridge now we have about 55, and in New York we have 35. Oh, what are some of the places, like what are some of the businesses that are participating that someone might already know of? Right, so I think in Boston we have a couple of local chains that are very known, well known. So we have Boloco, we have a Chicken and Rice Guys for Mediterranean plates, we have Pizza Pies, that is one of my favorites, they have very tasty pies. And in New York, we have uh, Simpson Eatery. They have delicious Mediterranean bowls. Mm -hmm. So, and have they have three locations. Yeah. Um, they're definitely our top seller in New York City. And they have, I think it's Columbus Circle, Astro Place, and Moen Mita. Mm -hmm. We are working now with Bake Shop by Whoops. So, this beautiful coffee shop in, I think it's Driggs Avenue. So, they also have eight locations, but they're starting like, with a pilot uh, in one of their locations. Mm -hmm. And also one thing that we're very excited about in New York is that we just partnered with the Lamain in Brooklyn. I don't know if you know the restaurant. I've seen it. Yeah, so it's this Peruvian contemporary restaurant in Brooklyn. They have amazing dishes, but they are a little bit different than the restaurants we are targeting now in the beginning. So now we're targeting all the restaurants that have food already prepared. Uh -huh. So we're talking about fast casuals or coffee shops, sure. uh, grab and goes. Uh, but the Lama Inn is a high-end restaurant. And what happens with these ones is because they cook on demand, they don't have a lot of prepared surplus food, right? right? But what they do have is they have surplus ingredients. And one of the things that they do to actually prevent that food from being wasted is family meals. Sure. And family meals are these hidden gems, let's say, that restaurant chefs produce to feed their own staff. Yeah. So all their staff get together and they all eat that food. That it's different every day, right? Because it changes according to, to the ingredients that they have available. Uh, and then, of course, it depends on the restaurant. But there are restaurants that are very proud of their family meals that up until now were not available to the public just because it's not on the menu and it's not on the regular restaurant hours. So they're the first ones to actually adopt the program of selling their family meals through Food for All, which I'm quite proud of because I love the idea of having meals that were not available to the public now available because of our app. <laughs> that's great. That's a, that's a great way to like target it. And 
if someone wants to support the movement and what you're doing, is there a way for them to like get involved? Like, is it helpful for them to recommend restaurants to you? Like, how can people support this whole movement? So I think because of the early stage we are at, the best way to support this really by using it, by using it and by sending us the feedback. So how it was the experience, if there was something that you would like to see better or if there was something that you loved about it. So we're always open to suggestions just because I think one of the advantages of being a startup is that you can change things very quickly. And we really do value this and read one by one, let's say. Uh, So that definitely helps a lot. And for the future, we are building now referral programs. So you can refer a friend, kind of like what Uber does. So if you refer a friend, then you both get kind of advantages or uh, meals for free. So we're excited about this. And this is coming up on February. So hopefully that will also get people more engaged. Cool. Awesome. Let's shift the conversation a little bit. How did you get into this? So you're from Brazil, and then I'm assuming you live either in Boston or New York. It's an interesting story just because it was something that I, it was not planned at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as I said, I'm from Brazil, and I am an architect. So I went to school here in Curitiba, and then I went for grad school in New York City. And there I got to know David, who is our co-founder and CEO of Food for All. And uh, I always knew that I, that I wanted to open my own business, but I just had no idea that that would be a, a tech startup and in the food scene, let's say. But I think being an architect just makes me very curious about technology and design changing people's behaviors and system or urban systems. When we first came up with the idea of Food for All, it was, just, it was the first time that I saw that I could actually create an impact. And that's how I got involved with it. So I was already pretty much involved with sustainable initiatives since I first started uh, studying architecture. Um, I think architecture is a very interesting field because you, you start understanding all the aspects that you have to consider when you build from a small house until mm-hmm. planning a whole city, let's say. So all of this aspect, cultural, technological, uh, natural, all these resources, and you see how they come together, let's say. And being able to actually crack this code and being able to change things through design and through technology is what fascinates me. So I just, I couldn't say no to food for all, let's say. And so I was already inside this environmental initiatives on the architectural side. And then, and then food for all happened. Tell us a little bit more about how you guys got started? How long were you guys working on this? I know that you guys did a Kickstarter to get off the ground. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, um, David was doing his MBA in Boston, and that's when he started to get more involved in the startup world, let's say. So we had an initial startup that was called Eventbox, and that was on the completely different. It was on the event industry that we didn't even have an app yet. It was just a pilot. Um, and we got in, accepted into this incubation program at Harvard. That's when I moved to Boston because this program was in the sustainable department. Of course, we started to kind of direct our business towards a more sustainable approach. And that's when we face the consequences of food waste that completely struck us. I think before that, we saw food waste just as the social problem, as the majority of people see it, right? So people don't like to waste food just because they know that somebody else that is in need could be eating that food. But I think people don't realize the environmental consequences that food waste represents since 
not only after it's already waste, but since really the production of that. When we saw that, we entered in the incubator with this other idea, and then we kind of pivoted to Food for All once we actually saw the problems of, and consequences of food waste and saw the opportunity to do something about it. What so was the original? original was <laughs> okay, I was just wondering like how you went from event box to food for all. Yeah. In the kind of sustainable incubator, we started to focus an idea of like create your own sustainable event. So kind of uh, biodegradable kind of appliances for your parties or venues that are more eco-conscious. But then when we were researching all the kind of checklist for being sustainable let's say with soft food waste and we decided to do something about it ah oh, that's so cool and why why is it that you care so much about sustainability and these environmental issues so i think it starts it starts when i was born in brazil <laughs> so uh, first of all here you just grow up so closely to nature and at least in my generation you grow up aware of the value that our forests and our uh, rich ecosystem have. On top of that, I was born in Curitiba, which is a, is a town in Brazil that is one of the pioneers in sustainable initiatives. So we were the first ones to actually implement a fast, a rapid bus transportation system for public transportation. And also another program that was pretty groundbreaking at the time is that since 1989, the government separates the trash. So we are born knowing that we have to separate what's recyclable from what's not recyclable. And that's just something, just something that resonates with our identity as Kudichibanus now. And then I think it goes back to the fact that I entered in the architectural school and just saw the power that we as designers and architects have to actually make a change. And that's definitely what fascinates me the most about this balance between built and natural environment. So we need to build things. The human nature is to act, seeking for shelter and is seeking for living in groups and cities and understanding really the relationship between artificial and natural and how we can make it better and more sustainable really for future generations is what fascinates yeah that's awesome and did you have a particularly like difficult or sad moment in your career or in your lifetime that really like stuck with you in regards to like the environment or yeah i can definitely say uh, more specifically for the career so i think the challenge still going on is really how to prove that a new concept can have the impact that you are pitching that it will i think the challenge is how to convince people, not only people, but investors, talking specifically for a startup, that this will work and that people want it. So I think that's been the challenge for the past six months since we launched it um, and have very limited resources. And that's always a little bit sad because you face people that really do not care, right? And you meet people yeah. that really do not care and do not want to talk about anything other than um, their return, their financial return. Right. So that, that's definitely challenging. And I think the sad moment is when I first realized how much being a woman and being a foreign actually is actually a career. You go out there and you want to change the world and you know you're capable and you know you have this not only a great idea but great product. And you start pitching, and I, there was so many times that I was pitching, and I was extremely excited about what, what I was saying. 
whether it was, if it was Food for All or a, pro, a specific program in Food for All. So I talk about five or ten minutes, and then the first question is always, where are you from? Oh. So I that just says that whoever was listening to was not listening to, right? Um, yeah. So it, I don't know if it was in the moment that they saw or they heard an accent or it was the fact of being a female. So I don't know. There's something there that really impedes people from li- from really listening to what you're talking sure. about. Sure, yeah. It's always heartbreaking. <laughs> just so you know, I, I also even get that question. So it's not just... Really? Especially when I'm traveling, people yeah. get really confused because they hear my American accent. No, but I think that's something that is just part of us trying to understand who you are, right? Sure. But at least when people, when you're traveling and people ask where you're from, people are interested to hear your story. Yeah. But then when you're talking something completely out of the, that's not the case here. Like it's, I'm not talking, like, I don't want you to get to know me. I mean, when I'm, when I'm pitching to an investor, right? So I'm, I really just want you to listen to what I'm saying. And then that's when assumptions really get um, tricky. <laughs> I think, I think you need to figure out a way to work it into your story and the story of Food for All. I think you're right. It's actually a whole kind of new thing for me. What's the message really, right? And the message, of course, changes according to your audience. And Food for All has so many different aspects that we can start with. So it can be the environmental, the social, the for versus nonprofit thing. It's a matter of you really understanding your audience and knowing how to get there. And that's been a huge kind of learning curve for us in this past months so now I think we're much more confident yeah one of the things that they always say though about like startups and newer companies is that if you if you did go into it with all these preconceived notions of how things already run you wouldn't be trying to change it and sometimes it's better for you to be blind to how things are because then you're just going to go with what you want to see like what's the ideal rather than what's ingrained. Now, I think that's so true. And I think that's exactly what I was trying to say. What, what do you do with a new concept, right? Yeah. Is it something that you just, uh, yeah, as, as you were saying, is it something that you just build on something that already exists or you just have to show the big picture and showing how things can be different even though they sound a little bit naive? Do you have an inspiring moment or something that's happened that drove you forward and pursue this? So I think there are a couple of them. One thing that for me is incredibly inspiring to do is before we actually launched the app, we had a button on our website that people could subscribe so we would notify them when once we reach their city. And for people to subscribe, they had to put a message there. And of course, in the beginning, we thought we would just get like, I don't know, plus or XXX, you know, people like not saying anything. <laughs> but it was so surprising of how much people wanted to write, like their message of support. So now we have more than 10,000 messages of the subscribers. Wow. And it is so inspiring to see how really understandable for all is something that would change their lives. So there are a lot of single moms saying, oh my God, I need this to bring diversity to my kids or diversity to the table. Uh, We had people saying, look, I get food stamps but there's nothing I can do about it because, I don't know, I live far away from a grocery store and Food for All will help me eat anything else other than nuggets. (laughs) Every time that I feel like kind of down and I I meet one of these investors that just do not add any value for us, it's good to sit down and see, okay, it makes sense. It fundamentally makes sense, let's say. 
the inspiring moments <laughs> that I take for myself. No, that's awesome. You guys had 10,000 people sign up for your wait list? The only thing that's across America. So it's not really targeted in New York and Boston. Still. Uh, which, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> How did you guys get the word out? Like, where did the press and the coverage of Food for All come from? Right. So it all started with the Kickstarter campaign. As I was saying, we had this other startup and then we pivoted into Food for All. But once we pivoted, we had no resource whatsoever. So we decided to try a Kickstarter campaign. That was a little bit risky because I don't know if you're uh, familiar with the platform. Kickstarter is basically for majority for products, right? So something that early adopters pay and will fund the execution of that product and then as a as a reward they will get this product before everybody else right it's not really common for you to see a software there like people are not used anymore to paying for apps but i think the mission was so strong that people actually understood it and were willing to pay out of their own pockets to see control reality so and what made us succeed was for sure our press release press release announcing that we wanted to do this why we wanted to do this and why people should support us and then it was actually a very crazy couple of months because we didn't have anything we had only prototype which is uh not really anything is coded right so it's just screenshots and we had an explanatory video and with that we were i don't know we were featured in the Fortune magazine. We were in the Today Show, <laughs> which was pretty cool. Wow. Um, and I, I don't know. I think that was just a major collective statement against food, food waste. And we couldn't think about anything, any better market research than that, than people saying that they would use it. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell us a little bit more about what your three tips would be for someone who wants to live a more eco-conscious lifestyle. I think it all comes to the basic Definitely one of the things that I use the most in my lifestyle is meal prepping um, and planning ahead what you're going to eat for the week. It's incredible how how much food and money you can actually save from just planning ahead. And the second one would be don't waste your water. So I'm one of the people that actually puts a bucket down the shower before you actually step in the shower so you can reuse that water. I think there's this little things that we can do that can can have a big impact. Oh, and then the third one would definitely be eat local. Eat local, support local farmers, support seasoned uh, produce, and just this, and that's why I mean this kind of very natural um, things that seem logical is what impacts the most. And do you have anything crazy that you've done in the name of nature sustainability that you want to share? You know, I was thinking about this question. I can't come up with any crazy thing I've done for the environment so far. Other than starting food for all? (laughs) Yeah, other than, exactly, other than starting food for all. But (laughs) I remember one time that, so I I will never forget when I was 13 years old, my dad brought me to just watch the Al Gore documentary. And that was so, that was something that really uh, changed the way I understood the world. And I was, I remember that I was angry about that, the whole climate change situation. And I remember that when I was 17 years old, we went to a trip for a carnival, right? So carnival here, everybody goes to the beach and it's a big kind of one week party. I don't know why. So I was at the beach with a couple of friends and I don't know why we saw this other, this documentary that I don't remember the name now, but it was exactly saying how 
uh, Al Gore was actually uh, <laughs> Al Gore and climate change was actually a lie, and like how well you know the argument, right? How the it's not that humans are affecting the world, but it's like or the climate, but just this natural cyclical event. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember that I was so, but I was 17 years old, like I was not a child anymore, but I was so touched by it. I was so angry about the fact that, oh my God, so climate change is not real. And well, I felt very, like really cheated. Yeah. But then of course you learn more and you, you see really what, what you can trust. But I remember that it was a week party that for me, I actually cried that I was, I was really angry about not about people saying that that was not real, let's say. Wow. <laughs> so it's not something crazy. It was just something a little bit inconvenient for the whole house. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's still a good story. And do you have like an inspirational moment that you had in nature? Like one particular moment that you want to share? I'm sure you've had lots, but... Yeah, I think the most special moments are always the ones you are alone by yourself into the wild, let's say. Um, but I... If I had to choose one, I, I have to be a little bit patriotic and say that it was when I first went to the Iguazu Falls. Well, I'm always a little bit skeptical about national parks just because the whole <laughs> kind of park situation makes the whole experience like less authentic or whatever. <laughs> uh, but I have to say that when I was there, first of all, it's a, so beautiful. But then the, the Iguazu Falls, um, so it's right in the middle of or right in the border between Brazil and uh, Argentina. Um, so in the Brazilian side, you see like this beautiful picture, kind of you face it, the wall of waterfalls. Yes. Argentinian side, and that's when, I, <laughs> when I'm less patriotic. <laughs> uh, from the Argentina side, you actually go on top of the main waterfall. Yeah. So you see it like falling in your feet, let's say, and it's just such an incredible experience. And that was very... Oh, that was a life-changing experience as well. Oh, wow. Um, Diego Falls is actually in Paraná, right? My yeah. state. Yeah. But so people like just assume that it's easy for me to go, but it's oh, still gosh, like, no. kilometers. Yeah. So like, it's not that close from Floripa. No, I, <laughs> I know. <understand> that. <laughs> but it's like the closest I'll probably ever get, you know? Like, when I'm, uh, don't say that. Come when, on. Yeah, I'm like... Plenty of opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to get back to Brazil one day. <laughs> That's so cool. Awesome. Um, any other parting words or anything that you want to share with the community or people who are listening? I think here I'll have to be a little bit, um, I'll have to wear my shirt, let's say, and ask people to really give it a shot for Food for All. There's no downside. There's no hidden messages or give it a shot and let us know what you think. Awesome. And how can people get in contact with you if they're interested in the app or suggesting a restaurant or maybe they're interested in getting involved with Food for All and helping you guys out? How can they get in touch? They can simply shoot me an email, um, sabine at foodforall.com. Awesome. And we are always open to new opportunities, people that want to support in any way they can. Um, we're all now it's an exciting moment because we're building our team and we're really strategizing our next action plan. So we really help welcome talented and passionate people. Awesome. Amazing. Sabine, thank you so much for your time. This has been such an amazing chat. Thank you so much. I think my favorite part about this interview is the fact that Sabine was willing to be so raw when talking about the challenges that she's faced in building Food for All. 
She's also so open and receptive to feedback. So if you get the chance to try the app, definitely send her a note and let her know what you liked, what you didn't like. It's really interesting to hear the story of a young founder who's early in building a movement. And I really hope that you guys download the app and try it out for yourself. It's pretty amazing, especially when you live in an expensive city like New York City, to be able to get a good, delicious hot meal for $4. Also, if you're planning to join us for our screening of Wasted on April 10th, Sabine and her crew will be there showcasing some of the rescue food from her partner restaurants in New York City. You can sign up for the app, enjoy some other delicious food and drinks, and then stay for the movie. There will be dozens of food innovators and thought leaders there for you to meet and speak with. Get your tickets now. The seats are limited. Tune in again next week, Eco Warriors, and stay green. Thanks for talking dirty with us. Tune in next week for more trash talking with Eco Warriors. For more inspiration, follow us on Instagram at Trashy Beauty Co.